Hey up, and welcome to episode 9 of the We Need Crew podcast. I am the host, Scott Howarth. This week, we speak to another one of them lighting people. You know the kind, the ones that don't do sound. I'm teasing. We all love each other, really. Our guest is the ever-lovable Skippy Monk. But let's find out what's been happening with We Need Crew first. Well, We Need Crew have launched some very festive industry-themed Christmas cards available to buy on the merch store. Be quick so you can get them sent out to your friends and family in time for Christmas. They were designed by the very talented Neil Bunn, who is also a touring merch rep. A big thing that's been raising money for We Need Crew is Wishio. This is an online raffle platform where you can buy tickets to win some incredible prizes. The money from this also goes to We Need Crew. An incredible amount of money has already been raised. There are raffles for a Nile Horan signed guitar, which ends soon, so make sure you don't miss out on that one. We have Jonas Blue streaming a live DJ set of all his big hits straight into your living room. Il Devo fans, you can win a quiz night with the four guys over Zoom, and you can even invite your friends to that one as well. And new this week is The Vamps. You can meet them, join their exclusive gig, and win signed merch. Make sure you head over to wishio.io to enter any of the mentioned raffles there. Right, let's get into our chat this week. It's super fun, funny and charismatic chat with Skippy Monk. Touring crew, the legends of the road, the enigmas of the shadows. They are hanging from truss, staring endlessly at Dimaracks, and they sometimes hide in plain sight. Our guest this week is someone who's worked with some iconic artists who the world still takes inspiration from. Skippy Monk is our guest, and I'm sure he's going to tell us some amazing stories from his life on the road. Skippy, welcome to the Weenie Crew podcast, bud. How, how's South Wales doing for you right now? Uh, South Wales is very wet. Um, and as I've got some bits and pieces on a, a new drama series, most of it's in the Brecon Beacons. Anyone who's nice. been to Wales knows it's cold and it's really wet. But, you know, yeah, and we did I mean, yesterday. I finished at half one this morning. So, yeah, it was nice. You're, so, so you're raring to go with oh, the podcast absolutely. then, right? Cup of coffee, <laughs> off, off and running. It's not, it's not like being on the road, is it? You know, being on the road, who cares? Finish load out That's one it. o'clock, two beers, one in, one in the shower, one before the shower, one in the shower. Yep. One in the shower, that's right. Shower beer. I always oh, have a shower beer. Shower, shower beer. It's like, it's, it should be made the law, but try doing it at home. It doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I do, it, I do it on Friday nights, me. I do it on Friday nights to get a bit of, get a bit of vibe going on. You live the life, don't you? I tried it myself. I thought, I thought it was a bit perverse myself. I didn't, I didn't really, you know, because I wasn't in a, like, a dodgy German venue dodging God knows what in the bottom of the shower tray. And, yeah. You know, the beer is a distraction. No, it, it didn't. I'll, I'll give her, on your recommendation, I'll give her another, another go, mate, definitely. It's, it's not the same vibe, but it's definitely a vibe. But, yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not the same as a big German glass bottle of beer that might smash and rip your feet apart. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No. Or you get in there last thing at night which is a, one thing I remember from my very first tour, which was uh, Rory Gallagher. Um, yeah. And there was a, 
there was a, the the caterer was a was no had the pseudonym vodka Val. Well, she used to she used to empty all the ice, you know, from the day's thing. <laughs> And you get there, being the lampy, and of course I was a kid, I was obviously the last to get in the shower. The last one, yeah. There'd be two or three inches of bleed nice, so I'd be like <laughs> tapping through that, you know. So the beer, which I was, was you know, on that tour there were two legends that are now not with us, Finbar Quinn and Roy the Boy. Um, they instilled in me many things, and uh, one of them was always have a beer for your shower. The other was never be without a roll of PVC tape, or an adjustable yep. spanner. And yep. Roy the boy, nowadays wouldn't get away with it, would, even if I didn't have it on a day off, would give me a clip round the back of the ear. So, Skippy, let's get, let's get into it a little bit more and let's let our listeners know who you are, what you do, where you come from, what's your name and everything like that. Okay, lovely. Uh, well, my name's uh, Skippy Monk. Nigel, to some people, very few. Uh, was I was going to say, I think, I think it's very few, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was my mum who's now gone, God rest her soul, and I knew I was in the shit if all of a sudden I heard Nigel. But um, most people know me as Skippy, stupid yep. name. But um, that came about was about when I very first started. I went to, well, I started as a trainee quantity surveyor for the council. Christ, how boring was that? Um, John Cleese always said the two most boring people in the world are accountants and quantity surveyors, and he was right. <laughs> so I left that through various reasons and ended up at a drama school in London, um, yeah. Mount View, doing a, a stage management course, which again was bloody useless, but um, I used it to make contacts in the West End and did my bits, did a lot of th- bit of theatre. So Skippy yeah. came about because the very first... Uh, theatre I worked as a contract was the um, Mercury in Colchester um, and there's a, a young lady who was the, the stage manager and she used to get quite stoned um, and on the second on a double day two two shows on a Wednesday she'd get double stoned so to her I was just the the, the, the junior tech doing the lighting and sound cues she got the giggles and said my voice sounded like a scouser and because I had long hair, I was a hippie. Scouse hippie becomes skippy. That night, there was a, that, <laughs> that, that night there was a party, which I was my first week at the theatre, and she kept introducing me to these people as skippy. My nickname before all of that was always Monkey because of my surname. Um, right. So the next day, I go back into the theatre, and these people go, all right, skippy, nice. And so after the third person, I couldn't be bothered going, well, actually, my name's not skippy. So that's that's how it stuck. So it just, you're just like, oh, this is staying, yeah. Yeah, well, it was it was the point, and it's like sort of really sums me up. Nigel doesn't really sum, sum me up. I don't. I don't think anyway. So you you grew up in South Wales, right? Yep. And you worked in Colchester. Uh yeah. Well, so what happened was I start. I I grew up in South Wales. I, I was in the quant- training quantity in South Wales, but then I went to the drama school, which was in London in Crouch End. Right. So, um, and then I, I just based from there, and then basically I'm now back in, back in Cardiff all these years later, um, oh, yeah. through various circumstances. Um, and well, what yeah. I was going to say is, is, is like the Scouse accent. You know, I can yeah. see that if you're from North Wales. No, you know, no, no. But, but basically, that, but... if you listen, Cardiff, real Cardiff, is really hard like that. So there's two halves of dark in the same glass. 
Where you been parking your armoured car? I've been parking my armoured car in the Cardiff Arms Park and park, car park. So that's a proper Cardiff accent. Very hard. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. So to her, especially she was stoned as hell, you know. She, she's, also from, she's also from Essex. Pretty yeah. Much, yeah. So. <laughs> well, the thing was, it was um, it was Oscar Wilde. It was the importance of being earnest, which. You know, yeah. nice, nice, well written, but Christ, it's boring. Especially if you're doing lighting and sound cues in two and a half hours. I think I did about ten cues or something. So she just got more and more stoned and just kept, kept, kept. <laughs> and it's weird at the Colchester Mercury because the prompt and the bastard prompt actually go yeah. into the audience behind like baffles. So sure. where she's calling the show, she's actually in the crowd. The crowd can't see her, obviously, but yeah. so. She, <laughs> She got told off by uh, many, many times for just killing herself laughing and being heard by the punters that were sitting in the in the seats next to her. Um, oh but yeah, so that so I did that, and then um, I worked in the West End. I sold merch uh, for a company called The Winters, like extra money while I was in college. I did cats, uh, a thing called Time, which was terrible. Which was with Cliff Richard was was a. Uh, the main thing it was written by um the guy out of the dave clark five okay. um it was a rock uh, it was terrible it was, it, i think it after cliff richard finished david cassidy took over the role and basically it was a transformation thing so there was a full gig on stage it was at the dominion yeah. and then all the walls rotated with these mirrors and then they were right. onto an onto another world in another time it was terrible but anyway <laughs> So, so, I sold... so, you, so you started. So you started your journey through theatre, then. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. And then uh, various bits. We like. Uh, I did. I did uh, local crew in. The, I did sort of stagehand work again on another terrible show with, uh, which was called uh, Mutiny with um, David Essex, Frank Finley, yep. and then the very young Sunita. Um, so yeah, and I did that, and then. Um, so before I went, I did a bit of St. David's All Local Crew and, and all that before I came to London. So that's where my interest of sort of trying to get that sort of work. Um, and then I finished my three months at Colchester and I was living in London and I was like, how do I get into this? And then I, I met up with, a, there was a company called Midnight Design, which I met through various people. Um, and the Astoria on Charing Cross Road was just literally... Um, this was 1987, um, mm. and there was a production in there called Lennon, which was a great musical. It was never taken anywhere else. Didn't go anywhere else, which was very strange. And it did very not, well not, in a way. Yeah, not did, about the dictator, about about John Lennon, was it? Yeah, well, it was Lennon, not Lenin. Right. And okay, it wasn't good. Leonard, so it wasn't about Leonard Rossiter either, which, you know, <laughs> Rigsby would have made a good musical, I, I reckon myself. I couldn't tell because of your Scouse accent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, being over that side, you won't like him, will you? Because you're you're in Manx territory, so uh, I'm literally I'm I'm dead in between the two, me. Yeah, right, right, right halfway. Manchester, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I wonder why your accent it, sort of like... went up, eight, eight, up and down. You know, it went between the two. You went from I Liam Gallagher a... to to John Lennon. You know. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, right. And then I just had a burger on the back of the bus and the <laughs> boss. <laughs> That's Bosla, Bosla. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you got me now, yeah. So. Um, yeah, so, as you were. Yeah, as I were. Going back back on my heads. So what happened was it became an illegal drinker in the West End. Um, so, you know, back then, it was a time when pubs closed in the afternoon. And, you know, you try and get a drink after 11 o'clock unless you were going to a discotheque. 
in it sounds like it sounds like now you can't get a drink past 10 now no, well yeah exactly well there we go covid's taking us back to the 80s christ yeah. i said it i'm not wearing a rah-rah skirt right and a little ruffle top for no one i did it once not again no well there is there is there is proof of me getting fully dressed up as a dancer on a bross tour myself and uh, barney rubble a good mate of mine um we took over the the um routine of the two dancers and did a whole number on the last dance in Copenhagen. But the thing with a good gag is you've got to rehearse it and make it right. So we did the proper rehearsals with the dancers, unbeknownst to poor old Matt and Luke's um, thing, (laughs) had, there was denim shorts, I was the R in Bros on my little leggings. So you you was trying to upstage Bros. Oh no no we did we did the we came on and like we were fully made up the lot lipstick <laughs> ponytail pigtails and did the whole dance routine that the girls would normally do. Oh and my god! Be, well, well the way we came on stage they couldn't see us, so we were yeah, right yeah. behind them. They're doing their little <laughs> oh dance. They turn around yeah. and they say me and my mates, but we were po- completely poker faced and did the whole yeah. thing the whole three minutes perfectly yeah. and the two of them were like calling us every name under the sun that was back in the day when you could get away with you know taking the mickey on the last day you know there was yeah, loads yeah. of things went on like that the rigger was oh, the, there was oh. a there was a pod that flew in the rigger yeah. and you couldn't see in the pod but the rigger was lying in starfish bollock naked so yeah. as as matt got onto the platform the punters couldn't see it, but all they could see was a hairy-ass rigger, bollock naked, in the pod. And there was other things on that night, but... That, that... I, 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 do, I do miss them days. There was, there was a realisation when you started touring, when at one point you realised that the end of tour prank's no longer a thing. No, you go, oh, yeah, I know. That's a shame. Or, or the thing of, of um, you know, the old gags with a drummer, you know, putting the flower on there. When you, when you, when you could do those, you know... When you have an artist and crews who's so like just happy, you know, we we tour for years sometimes, you know, on, on a tour, and to culminate it with just that laugh at the end, and it can be as simple as putting oh, yeah. a hi hat stand too high for the drummer for the last song or something, you know. Um, I once replaced all the mic stands on stage with you know little desktop mic stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the last song, and he came out, and he's like, "What's this?" I'm like, "Just, just get, just, just show us, go on, mate, just get on your knees." <laughs> Well, no, is that, is that, it was always that thing with, you know, the support the support bands last day. Anything could yeah, happen to it. them. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been but, on and like... But, but the, be- the beauty is, is you don't tell them. You just no. let them know something's going to happen. And they're, they're on tenterhooks all day. And you're like, you just you wait. Oh, just yeah. I, wait. I, I took over, on one, I took over as uh, the drum tech. And I literally started their D-rig, two numbers from the end. But I, I was only yeah. going on like every sort of minute and a half. Good so... Man. Yeah. Hi-hat was gone. Oh, That's yeah. It. Oh, you don't need that, Tom. Tom was off. Yeah. And the drummer's just... And the, uh, he's looking at his drum roadie. The drum roadie's going, well, I don't know. But they're the main act. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. Nowadays, you know, every, so, some of the support acts are better funded than the main act. So you do that, you're, in, you know, yeah, you're yeah. in trouble with everyone. That that finished. And then... Um, so I did a few gigs, a few like a summer of, of like summer balls, you know, like at the universities with this company, Midnight. And they said to me, oh, would you be interested? The Astoria is going to open. And uh, it was uh, it was funded by some interesting characters. Um, I'll put it that way, because um, it was right on Charing Cross Road. Um, and it became a music club. And I was the first, I ended up going in there as the first house guy. Um, right. And I was there for, well, I was I was supposed to be there for for months and months and months but i ended up 
I was there for about five or six months um, and public image came into play. And basically as the house lighting guy, I was, you know, put the, put the tails in, get look after the system coming in. And there, it was a guy called Lawrence Parks was the lighting designer. He's, he, he, at the time he did everyone. He did Terence Trent Derby, Sade, Eurythmics. Um, and I, I sort of busied myself just giving him a hand because you know what it's like with some house guys. You walk in in the morning, you give them the tails, and you don't see them all day. Well, I was like young, and you know, I, would, I just wanted to be involved. So Lawrence got me, took my number, and said, "Why don't you give these guys a ring?" And it was a company called Chameleon, which who were based up in Northfields, and uh, they were owned by Colin Jones and the the inimitable Pete Barnes, um, both who became a very big part of my, you know, things, uh, my life, and. Uh, so what happened was I got in contact with them and they said, all oh, right, we'll keep you in mind. You seem young and keen. And literally a week mm. later, they said, oh, what are you doing two weeks' time? Um, we've got this tour with Rory Gallagher and I will hold my hands up. I had no idea who he was. Not a clue. Yeah. Didn't, didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't come into my, my sphere of music. Um, and I went off on my first British tour and uh, that was the... The first date I will remember always was October the 1st, 1987, and it was at uh, Newcastle City Hall. Um, nice. And then that's it. That was your baptism into touring then. Then I, I, from, from that point, it just kind of snowballed, right? Oh, yeah. It just, you know, and I said I did I did a lot, quite a lot for Chameleon then. Uh, it was the, the, I said, Pete and Colin sort of took me under the wind, give me slap. I did Bross for them. I did Hawkwind with... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I did Hawkwind with Colin where, you know, last night Japes were six foot white balls on fishing wire. Bounce. There were supposed to be projection screens above the two keyboard players, but we rigged them with pulleys so we could bounce them off the top of the keyboard players' heads. This does sound, this does sound very spinal tap. So when you, when you talk about your life coming into the industry and stuff like that, you started um, as, a, as a crew, as a tech, and then moving into stage management a little bit, and then, and then you, you went into lighting tech, and then was you also an LD as well? Or was well, it, was yeah, it just yeah, lighting you know, tech it, that you did? Uh, I, I, I dabbled in the LD world. Whether I was any good, I don't know. But I, I, was, I, was, uh, I, moved, I LD'd for Motorhead in the early 90s, very early 90s. My bloody, uh, my bloody Valentine, uh, mm -hmm. ABC, um, a band called River City People, and then and then uh, I I LD for quite a while, and then my my last skirm well, prior to these boys, Blackstone Cherry, I, I'll get to later, but um, my last real dabblings with were, were were a certain pop act that um, I won't name them because it got it got quite quite tasty in the end and I, I realized you know when you're there as the creative you've got to realize that other people uh, are going to give their point of view so you can yeah. either be you can either take that and deal with it or you can just go on and try and do your own thing well I was quite young and I was quite you know I had what I thought were the best ideas in the world um, so <clears throat> I wasn't I wasn't that well at taking advice especially from the drummer's girlfriend or you know the mother-in-law of the uh, the singer or i think it should be green do you now yeah you? yeah yeah it's like so <laughs> this certain pop act um they were they yeah. they got uh, they got a sponsorship deal by a company that that i was involved with and the bosses flew in for the big london show 
Um, but the band's mm-hmm. manager <clears throat> had been working behind my back, basically trying to get someone else in and telling them I made the show look this and that, not how they wanted. Um, and I yeah. got quite a lot of gear in, which I did my, and I had to do the show myself with house rings. Yeah. We get to London, um, and it's a pretty stressful day. There was no other lamp beyond it, so I was, I was the dimmer man, the rigger, operator, mm. designer, and I had to deal with the house system. So he decided it was the best day to try and wind me up. So, um, yeah, I was behind Tem- the light desk. Tempers, tempers were short. Uh, well, th- we get to the third number, and he's he's in my ear. So I just put a lighting state up and knocked him out. And I, I, it was my best, it's my best punch <laughs> I've ever landed. Out. Anyone who knows you say I'm a soft, soft thing, but he pushed me that far, um, oh, and, and it was proper championship stuff. It was I swung round one punch, caught him on the chin, put him on the floor. Um, and security uh, a certain London oh, venue just couldn't believe it. They were just looking at me. I was at him by the throat. I was dragged yeah. off. He was he was carried off. I finished the show and resigned. And after that day, I basically said, "No, nah, it's not worth the ag." You know, I'm 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 very sure. good at yeah. loading trucks and converting yeah. LDs' ideas. You know, if I work yeah. with an LD as a crew boss, and they just say, "What can we do today?" You know, I can honestly say that I, I'm most LDs, or most creatives, have one big cue in a show. They get they nail that cue, and then the rest of it sort of goes together. You know, you don't you, you think so. You have to interpret if they're not there at, when you go in at seven o'clock in the morning. Why would they be? They've got to do the show. But they, yep. if they can trust you that you will get them that desired effect, that desired look. You know, mm-hmm. same the sound engineer, that desired sound. You know, they trust they trust the text to go in now. You know, there's a thing how time has changed. In the yeah. mornings, it was caterers, riggers, and lampies were up first. You know, caterers before anyone else, then the riggers, lampies come in. Nowadays, yeah. I'm only just doing my teeth, and the sound boys are in. They got their computer open. They're doing their little. 3D schematics at a building. I'm like, yep. you know, that 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 that's a definite change. But uh, your, the, the lighting text is still the last one out and still the first one in, pretty much. Besides the rigors, well, yeah, but I, but uh, as I've always, you know, said, we we do have that big portion in the afternoon where we don't have to deal with the artist. You know, the the art of the lampy nap is yep. like, you know, is is a a a a, thing, a rite of passage. I'm I'm not a big one for it myself. I much prefer to sit sit and fall asleep watching a film downstairs rather than squirrel in my bunk for four hours. Um, sure, yeah. And yeah. and yeah. for me, um the artist gig on the road is caterers without a shadow of a doubt. Especially the, the, the you know, the companies that we have and the chefs we have in the UK. I don't care what anyone else says. So so do you know you know when you mentioned about the drummer's girlfriend and you said like you know they might throw a bit of opinion your way yeah you know with caterers everyone can throw an opinion their way can't they because they can sit down and say oh that apple pie is rubbish or they could be like you know tomorrow you could do chicken wings yeah, you? yeah 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 you know yeah. you know or you could be like you know because most of the time the caterers sort out the rider as well you know oh yeah so you be like you be like why is there no uh, iron brew we're in Scotland why yeah. why is there no iron why is there no square sausage why is there no square sausage? That's it, yeah. So, but if you've shared it, like, you know, said, because I started on smaller tours, you know, where it'd be one or two buses at the very most, you know, you yeah. you, you get you get past all of that because um, 
I think you realise that it's not just lighting, sound, video, catering. It's all of you. To quote The Clash, the last gang in town. You've arrived. Yeah. Everything's going to happen. It's going to happen within, you know. How many times have you been there when something's kicked off, whatever it is, within, and you're all together, you're a family? It's quite hard at the oh. end of it. I think it's quite hard at the end of a tour. You say goodbye to people. Some people you don't see for another 20 years, and you walk into I... them. No, you're fully, you're fully right. Um, people say to me, like, this could be the last time that I see you. I'm like, no, I'll see you at a festival. Yeah. And there, there was one instance, actually, with a guitar tech, right? And I worked with this guy on and off for, for years and years and years. And we got him on the job. That, he got on the job that I was on. And I was like, oh, wicked. Uh, Jay's on this job. I, I love Jay. And um, we did Red and the Leeds Festival. We're on the main stage. And uh, he came up to me after Leeds. He lives just outside of Leeds. And he came up to me and said, yep, that's it. And I was like, yeah, that's it, that's it. So I'll see you on the next one, Jay. He's like, no, Scott, that's it. And I'm like, what, what do you mean, that's it? He's like, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to do something else in life. I, I don't just want to be a tech all my life. I, you know, I want to be a joiner. I want to be a the driver. I goes, I want to do different stuff, man. I was like, wow. And I have never seen Jay ever again. We spoke, but that realisation of going, actually, I am never going to see you again. Because like you say, it could, it could be 20 years, right? But I know I'll see you again. But see, so it's it's changed. It's changed as well because, like, obviously nowadays, me and you having this Zoom conversation, me and you sending emails, you know, internet. Remember when we first started, and when I first started, there was none of that. There was no mobile phones. There was nothing. My uh, the it was, girl- just, it was just it was just like a Morse code, wasn't it? When you no, started. no cheeky bastard. We had pigeons, <laughs> right? And I had some of the best fucking pigeons on the road, right? They always came back. Unless the caterers have been out shooting. When you were touring as well, you were talking, we were talking about LD before as well. We'll go back to LD. Um, you, did, you say you did Motorhead for a, a while. I was I was working with uh, with Motorhead and Lemmy because that must have been that must have been loud. That must have done some hearing for you. Well, the thing is that the, the the lineup that I was with, I, I, I think everyone who's ever worked for for Motorhead will always say the lineup that they worked with was the best. So the lineup I worked with was Lemmy, Filthy Animal, Wurzel. Yeah. And Phil Campbell. And the, f- the first tour I was on, I was basically put on the tour to look after the LD because the LD was sort of a bit wayward or whatever. Um, yeah. And he got fired in the end, um, which was a thing. And basically they said, you're doing it. So that was my thing into becoming... So I spent about two and a half, three years as LD with them. And then when the new drummer came in, uh, uh, Filthy left... Me and him didn't really see eye to eye. The problem was I couldn't just light him in yellow. If you notice anything that Mickey D's done, he's lit, lit in yellow the whole time. Right. Yes, and, and I was like, that just looks stupid. Again, being headstrong and just going, and, and Lemmy just called me in and said, look, you know what it's like with Motorhead? It's like, you, we are the road crew, but basically we're the band. You don't want to do it. Yeah. Partner the waves. And I, Lemmy, Lemmy's... Uh, not only a legend, uh, he's a, an absolute gent. So I never, I, I didn't get fired, but not asked back. But you know, it was sure. like yeah. so. Yeah. It, but it was done in such a way that it was like, oh, that's quite a, quite a badge of honour. I've been not asked back by Lemmy. Well, is is another thing as well because uh, I do my research, me Skippy. Uh, more more so, you sent me information. But there's also a legend that we know in the music industry that. He's a rite of passage to be fired by him. Yeah. And he's not he's no longer with us. He is the purple warrior that is Prince. So that was my first tour as a crew boss. 
Um, oh right, okay. So right. that was, yeah, so that was my first first thing as a crew boss, which was quite a step so, up for so, me. So as a, as a crew boss, uh, obviously working under the production manager as well. In, yeah. in in some regard, you know, you're looking after the lighting crew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, did you have to let anyone go? Did 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 any word come from anywhere, or was it was it quite quite chill, quite relaxed? Well, the, the one I, the I, one I, I, I I've known stories of Prince being just walking in, being like. See you later. You're off. You don't like the look of him. He's wearing he's wearing purple. I wear fucking purple. See you later. Yeah. No. There's 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 there is the, the thing about the worst job on a Prince tour is um, being the monster man because like he can you know yeah. he was a genius. He was a genius yeah. with sound. He knew what he wanted. But so yeah. if you were the monitor man on the tour that I did, the guy that was originally the monitor man, we went through six in. Yeah. Four weeks, five five weeks, I think it was. Um, eventually, the guy that that um, kept the job was the first guy, but was hidden under the stage with a full monitor system under stage. But no. there was a full setup side stage, so Prince just thought that it was <laughs> that his man was doing monitors, yeah. but he wasn't. Right. That yeah. was quite interesting, yeah. you know. But as far as we're concerned, that my. My memories, memory on that was that um, mobile phones had just come out. My mate Dennis, jo- uh, Dennis Brown, known as the Bear, um, <laughs> uh, that was the, the the birthday. Well, the first gig was a twenty four hour full day in a ball ring in Malaga, horrible day, uh, with no boards, pushing stuff across sand, and his phone wasn't working. My phone got back to my phone. There was thirty odd messages. His wife had gone from. Being in, uh, oh, I think I'm not feeling very well. Her water's breaking to him having a baby daughter. To us, oh my God. that day, we didn't have a um, shower beer. I found the promoter and we had shower champagne. And then we oh, flew we flew, we flew him home to his wife the next morning. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, that's the way to, sell, that's the way to celebrate, isn't it? And that's, that's my favourite Grace Jones show. No moe, no showy. Good. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. I did. I was doing electric picnic years ago, and uh, she played. Grace Jones had played in the afternoon, and I don't know if you've ever seen her show. It's brilliant. I did. I saw. I saw her in a, in Norway actually. Did yeah. you see her doing the hula hoop? I don't think she did that when I oh, did see that. She does a whole number with a hula hoop. I think she's seventy odd now, but she did the thing, and then I was on the main stage. This was on one of the little stages at Electric Picnic in Ireland. My favourite festival, or used to be my favourite festival in Ireland. Um, and then uh, I had to go back to the main stage because uh, uh, Funkadelic were playing. George Clinton with Funkadelic were playing at midnight. And I had to babysit the dimmers. Yeah, and needless to say, I, I, I she turned up in a full-length black fur coat, which obviously yeah. I thought morally wrong, but she looked absolutely fabulous, stunning in it. And I caught her in a caught them in an act, and uh, they didn't realise I was there. So I popped my head up, and uh, Miss Jones gave me a hug and gave me a kiss on the cheek, which I duly went on the radio and told everybody. Of course. <laughs> What's going on, Skip? Nothing, mate. I've I've just got a kiss. I've just got just got a kiss. And, oh yeah, no, it wasn't. She just she full on snogged me. I was like that. <laughs> I was like, honest. I was like. As as you might have guessed, I'm not backward in coming forward, but even I was just like, I was that little in front of the in front of the headlights. Then she turned around. She yeah. was um, 
She was watching it with uh, Philip Tracy, the hair. You wouldn't get that in a nine-to-five, though, would you? You wouldn't get that at an office desk, would you? No. Grace Jones just coming over, giving you a snog. <laughs> so, yeah, Motorhead were, were, were great. Prince, was, it was a great tour. We did, um, with Prince, we did one of his infamous after shows because you know all about them, don't you? The, their backline crew are paid yep. a fortune. Um, so basically, as yep. soon as the show finishes, they can be do. Oh, they used to be able to do a show anywhere, and we did one which was filmed, which was at the Cafe, uh, Cafe de Paris in London. Yes, yes. Um, and I have the great pleasure of, um, I held a, a him coming on stage because we'd had these fire things, these fans with some ribbons on. They were supposed to look like fires. Well, the fan decided to eat the ribbons. So I, it was supposed to be the grand... I don't know if you've ever been to Café del Paris, but it's not very big. Yeah, yeah. And it's like... It's, tiny, yeah. it's got the two stairwells down to the stage, two stairways. Yeah. And uh, I had to go down and t- get these fans out, not realising that the purple that one is. was right behind me. <laughs> and he's not very tall, even with his boots on. And I'm fiddling with the no. fan, and he's behind me. I think they started when Dove's fly or whatever and it's, it's behind me and he's just looking at me and I've got the fan and I bottled it completely I've unplugged it and there's a guy security I just fucked the fan off the stage trouble was my wedding ring which was on the thing all of Greece my wedding ring went out into the punters no, never to be found lucky enough my wife was there so there was no other story to be told you know but yeah, uh, yeah. couldn't find that bloody ring though but he just looks oh. at me, and he, I tell you what, it's weird because it, because I, I, he, he was so small, it was more intimidating because he was small. It was almost like he was a ninja, you know. He was going to hit me with his end of his, and he had the 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 um, the infamous guitar from Purple Rain, you know, the one one with the yep. big squiggle on the end. Yeah, because that was the tour that he became Squiggle or whatever you know, symbol or. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, my, I've got, I've got, an, <laughs> when he I, became Squiggle. Yeah, I've got another classic Prince story from another gig. We were doing the launch of um, VH1 uh, at uh, the Roundhouse in London, so we'd yeah. be there all week, and it was like big news. You know, it was MTV was out, another channel was coming over. Again, this would have been, I suppose, late eighties, early nineties. Can't remember the exact thing. And um, we had this big production meeting. And I was bored up in and crew bossing, so they all this thing. And the idea was Prince was to come on stage, boom, satellite goes up. First thing you see is Prince playing the first number. So the stage manager was brilliant. The stage manager sits there, this big American Prince's production manager, and he's gone. Uh, so, um, you know, what do I call him? Because obviously he was. He goes, do I call him Squiggle? Squiggle. Symbol. <laughs> Prince. And that this is God's honest truth. With no, with the straightest face in the world, the American production guy turned around and went, you do, not ha- you do not have to say anything. Just think and he will come. <laughs> and the whole table went, and they just fucking creased laughing. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking something right now. Oh, the, oh the, the, the production manager, their production manager, just walked out because we were in tears. It was like, oh, yeah. yeah. This is a multi. This is a you know. This is a Europe-wide launch, and we're just gonna right. right get on there, son. Get on. It, I mean, it's amazing that you've even got got, got some stories about Prince because it, it is a rite of passage right there, and the fact that he, he's been behind you. But but what a show though! Uh, 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 yeah, as a yeah. showman, 
and anyone you talk to that's worked on a Prince tour, if they haven't been on the end of a bullet, will tell you that uh, we had uh, the bass player on ours was oh, what's the bass player from Sly and a Family Stone? Shaka Khan was a backing singer. For God's sake, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, the, the 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 band was just like I mean, some of it was just you know was funk noodle, but but every every night when you hear him play that guitar, he he, he could make it sing, couldn't he? Yeah, he could make it sing. Have you seen on YouTube? There's a thing where they play um, while my guitar gently weeps, and it's all of them, Eric Clapton, a lot. And then, yeah, so I was just, I was just going to talk about this. It's, it's actually the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's when he it's when he's inducted into the, in, the, in the Hall of Fame, isn't it? Yeah, and he comes and, on uh, and just blows them away, rips it. Well, that was that. You know, there was a, there was a point in this. So there's a story behind this where he was told to play certain parts. They're all told to play certain parts, and like you say, there was the greats there as well. You know, Clapton was there, and there's all these other famous guitarists there as well, and he just come on and fucking ripped it, and then he throw he throws the guitar at the end, doesn't he as well? It's great. So you've you've worked with some of the greats, then Skippy. I mean, um, you know, depending depending who sees it as great. Once you've worked with someone that can be called by just their name, you know, their first name. So I've worked with Rod, Diana, yeah. Bowie. Yeah. You know, it, it's like Bowie. Bowie was his second name. Uh, but that's he's still known. You only only his personal friends would call him David. You wouldn't. You couldn't. Well, you couldn't be having a conversation and go. That David, that that album he did, that David. You go, who? Yeah. David, David Gray? No. You could, you exactly, but you could say Ziggy. And you could, knows you, you could say Ziggy. Ziggy, but Ziggy was only a character, you know, for one album. Yeah. Oh, don't get, don't get me going on my, don't get me on my going with my obsession with David Bowie. Well, we've we've got to touch on David Bowie because it's something that's so so close to your heart and 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 you're so uh, enthusiastic about him anyway. Being a Bowie fan, uh, and I think the beauty of music, especially working in music, is every now and then we get to go and work with an artist that we truly truly love. Yeah. And e- even sometimes it's just you know seeing them on stage or, or getting a snog off them. You know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. sometimes that happens. But you you got you were very fortunate to go work with uh, David Bowie on. A reality tour, right? Yeah, and you so did that for quite so, a while. Yeah, what happened was, um, I, I lo- I've always lo- loved uh, Bowie, always, and uh, so it came, it came up that there was the first ever uplinked gig to the internet because uh, da- David was a, a David uh, was was a a, a big a big a big fo- you know pusher of the internet. Um, yeah. The first live uplink album release was the, the, an album called Heathen, and uh, they did the broadcast um, from the old Riverside Studios in London. Um, so I was brought into that working for LST, and then after that, um, the the lady who was looking after the the desk at that time was coming back because they have a thing on the South Bank called the Meltdown Festival, and every mm-hmm. year a different artist curates. I think it's six weeks of gigs. Um, and David did. Um, that was in eight. That was in two thousand and three. Two thousand and three did meltdown, and he came out and he did the last gig himself. And they did um, the whole of the low album, the whole of Heathen, which was the album that was out at the time, and then they right. did a greatest hits bit. So well, they, I think they they did the other way around. They did Heathen first, but. Um, We'd had such a long day. This is very embarrassing. Um, my big hero, waiting to see him. I'd been working at a, pro- a solid 24 hours and I fell asleep on the LD's shoulder at the front of the house desk at the festival hall and only woke up 
I heard him play Sound and Vision, fell asleep and woke up as they were just about to start Ziggy Stardust and that was the encores. Right. They did five numbers yeah. and, uh, yes, I woke up then. But through that... Hey, that's all right, though, because, because if the LD needed you, you knew where you were. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. well, no, his, exactly. On his shoulder. True. No, she... The, the, so she came to me, she said, look, I'm really nervous about tonight's show. Could you come, at, come just sit by me at the desk just to give me a bit of, you know, bit of confidence? So I said, yeah, OK, OK. Of course, I duly fell asleep. But um, especially... There's, a, there's some confidence. You bored me to death. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, at the Festival Hall, you're not very far from the front of the stage. So I was always very nervous that the main man could see one of his fans snoring Zeds going away like nobody's business. But anyway, yeah. after... After we did that, then they, they were, the reality was being released, and basically they asked if I wanted a crew chief it for LSD. Um, so you so you told me you told me about, so, like I said before, it was kind of like the the whole working with people who you actually admire as well. You you got the ability to to tour with Bowie. Yeah, it was frightening until I was walking down the corridor to catering, and uh, David Bowie actually said to me, Skippy, how's your day going? And I just went, because I just couldn't believe it. It was like, you know, and unbeknownst to us, what he had done, he'd had a a pin board put up, all our photos on it, and he had our names, our nicknames, and what our job was, so that he could walk in at any situation and knew everybody's name. Before he joined, that was before he joined the tour. That was that's amazing. So I've been watching uh, some documentaries on TV, and it's uh, about Brian Brian Johnson's life on the road. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he obviously goes around and talks to you know famous people, you know, from Def Leppard to you know Led Zeppelin and everything like that. And there's an instance where he goes to see someone. I can't remember who he goes to see. And when he's in there, he said, you know, there was a, there was a point in time in life being an artist where you'd have your immediate crew. And you knew them all. They were your family. He said, and then that crew grew to 20 trucks with, you know, five buses or whatever. And he said, and to the point where I'd walk around and I'd go, hey, mate, who are you? Yeah. Said, I won't, yeah. Be, rude. I won't yeah. be rude, but I'd be like, who are you like? Like, I've no idea who you are. What's your name? And then people would just be like, uh. So to find that Bowie has gone round and found each other's names, because we know how vast crews can be at this well, point. Well, the thing is, you know, th- that's the thing of that exactly. tour. It, 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 was an, it was an arena tour, but it wasn't that big, to be honest. We, uh, I think we were six or seven trucks at the very most, you know, so, yeah. so it's still within that realms of knowing everyone. Having done that stadium thing and, you know, massive arena tours... It, it, I, it loses the family thing about it because, you know, there's 24 truck drivers, there's 24 bus drivers, you know, the crew has grown exponentially, you know, and it's... Yeah. And you do lose that thing of, you know, even the banter is, is, is different. When you know each other, the, the banter can be about anything, about the... You're in about the night off in Copenhagen and you somebody fell in a lake or whatever, whereas the banter, when it gets bigger, becomes more... Group base becomes more about the job, like taking the Mickey out of Lampies or taking the Mick, Mickey out of the Vidiots or yeah. Pixel Thieves yeah. or whatever you want to call them. Well, you do, you don't even hear it, you know. Sound sound lives on, you know, channel channel two. Production lives on channel one, you know, and typically, you know, 
Lightning lives on Channel 16 because it's easy enough to spin <laughs> it to 16, isn't it? Yeah, because um, it's right at the end. <laughs> do, you know what? You're it, all, yeah. do you know what? You're almost don't, 20 for a sound fella. Yeah, don't, don't, go, don't go to Channel 16. Why? Because you're just going to hear Lumpy shouting at you. <laughs> <don't do that. laughs> I actually I interviewed a friend of mine recently we talked about just before I went live on air, Richard Larkham. Yeah. And... Um, on that tour, there was someone who I believe you toured with as well, a guy who has who follows the same name as me, has the same last name as me, Howarth. Oh, you mean um, Boff? And it was Boff, yeah, Boff was on that tour. And I just remember being on Channel 16 one day and I was just hearing Boff all day. I was like, why am I on Channel 16 here? And then there'd be times going, Howarth, and we both put our hand up like, no, hold on. <laughs> Don't want to be compared to a lighting guy. Now, there's, there's a lovely fella, Boff. What a top man. The idiosyncrasies of the road, though, as well, though, isn't it? Like, there's, there's kind of like, you know, you talk about that, the in-jokes uh, that, that you have on tour and, you know, jokes become then what were so vast between everyone then just go down to, you know, your group of people. And do you know what's funny? You were talking about caterers before. And do you know where I see a certain group of people all the time is... Walking into catering, like, you know, we're always, everyone's always waiting for catering at some point on there. Unless you're too busy, you're like, yeah. 4.55, should I go catering now? It starts at 5? Uh, or should I wait? I might just wait. You go in there at 4.55, who are you going to find? Bus drivers. Bus driver, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And oh, the, the... No, no. It's, it, the, there's, there's such a nuance with all our jobs when you get on there and you can chat, when you're loading the truck or when you're getting into a venue. We've all got these nuances in our job that, that makes, that builds character for us. And everything oh yeah, like absolutely. I, 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 you know, I've got some, I got great mates. So I, I don't believe in sound like, and a, a lot of, a lot of people that are coming into it now, they do go to colleges that specialize in being a sound engineer being a lighting engineer, being a video guy, yeah. whatever. So that yeah. they tend to, they don't really see the big picture of his show. What? Oh, right, I've got to put all these lights up. Let's throw it all yeah. up there now. Well, have you really thought about what's going to go there before you? You know, and yeah. the thing about, oh, we'll just drop the lights. Well, no, there's, there's a monitor place is still up. You know, mm, I'm, yep. I do, I'm yep. very much of the old school where I don't give a monkey toss what you do, you know, what job you do. I'm not going to fuck you over. You know, because if, if like, yeah. that's not we, what it's all about. We it's have to work in unison. Done. And we've only got this period of time where we ha we all have to do our job. Again, go going back to Larkham, Richard Larkham I spoke to recently, we was, I told a story of being in, in America with him and he was just like, he he never had time to focus lights. He, was, he wasn't torn a rig or anything like that in this in these club shows we were doing in the US. And he, he would just come in with a broomstick and be like, start moving things. Like, Scott, am I good to go now? I'm like, just going to ring this monitor out, mate, and then go. And as soon as that, pink went off he went up and you know the old rule of like don't make sound when there's you know there's people in the air and when yeah, you say some sometimes people from school don't they don't get that no, they don't, they don't get no, that. They don't. why are you making noise when someone's in the air shut up like they need to know if someone's you know up there or, or whatever it's, it's just a you bit know. of etiquette that you you learn over the years you know it's a, it, it it's when you first start like i remember you sit there and you go, all right, you know, I'm just going to gauge the situation. Isn't it? And the first thing is when you first start, you're like, how do they get them T-shirts? They've got millions of T-shirts. I haven't got a T-shirt or a sweatshirt, right? And yeah. then you're like, how do I get them in? All right. Oh, I can do them a favour over there. Right, I'll do them a favour. Oh, God, there's a bit of swag. You know, and it was oh, just, yeah. just simple things like that, just learning oh, how, to, how to form, form a team. Well, you know, like, I, I won't mention any names, but I've worked for some LDs, right, that... They'll be there, and you turn around, and they'll be like, well, I will mention one name, right? Vince Foster. What, what an absolute diamond of a fella, right? So yeah. I've done quite a lot recently with him. I've done Jamiroquai, Mika, Paloma Faith. 
Mm-hmm. So we're doing Mika. We've got more than enough work to do on stage. He comes in. We're loading in at seven. He's in about half nine. Skip, any chance of four guys? Yeah, okay then. Because what he's doing, he's taking the four guys and he's putting the follow spots up. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise he's bored and he's going to get himself, you know, he's just he'll be bored and he'll help mm-hmm. us out. And I, you know, I like that old school thinking, you know, it's like, I said I said to him, you don't have to do that. He's no, no, but if you've got a guy's free, you lot are all doing yeah. something. I'm busy, and then we'd all go to lunch together. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I like it's, that, you know. It, it's like it's all it's all working together, and it's even even to the sense of you know molding the sound and the light together. Yeah, absolutely. Is, although although we'll get you know local crew to do this job typically, you know. When you throw your multi up for your lights, exactly. You know, can you throw? Can you throw a sound one up? Well, yeah, but you've got to help us out a little bit. Yeah, no worries. Like, we'll, yeah. you know, and it's the same as when I put a monitor board out, and I'm like, you know, what's the side lighting doing? You know, shining so, in your right, face usually. Are you not joking me? That's the one. That's like one thing with with being a monitor engineer that you're supposed to be able to see the artist most of the time, and you're like, I can't see anything. No. This is horrendous. Yeah, especially what's this like, big light doing in front of my face? Yeah. Why is there three strobes in a line, and then there's six lights that can change color and strobe as well, pointed right in my face? So, yeah, I know. You know what I love about 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 touring one big thing that i love is when you move to festivals and like you get in this you get in this groove right of like touring in, in venues and clubs and stuff and and arenas and you get into this groove right and then it goes to a festival and they just fucking throw a spanner in and they go we want massive flames yeah we want you know massive screens so you know you have to find the idios- idiosyncrasies to like match that and then sometimes when you go and do like you know the big like rock festivals like download or you yeah. know and they go, we want more fire. And I did Download Festival one year, and I had the biggest fucking load of fire in my face. Yeah. And it was so close to me that I swear, that's why I've still no eyebrows, is because it just went, I was like, oh my God. But that's that's the beauty of, of touring though, isn't it? That sometimes you get a fireball in your face. And especially nowadays in the, in the age of the superstar DJ and the DJ acts, you know, it's like, oh, right, there's, um, there's 14 fire cues in this one number. Uh, why? <laughs> we were talking. I was talking about this the other day to someone because we talked to a, a chap called Matty Evans, who's also on the podcast, right? Uh, he did yeah, Swedish not, House Mafia in Stockholm last year. That's right. Yeah, Nocturnal Touring. That's right. And um, he talked about uh, Creamfields and, and Big Flames on that. Yes. And I was talking to a friend about it, a, a, another touring partner, and he said, "I was saying like, well." You know, we'll have these cues and we'll, you know, out of the 20 songs, there might be four that have pyro. Whereas with a DJ artist, it's like fire, 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 fire. Fire confetti, fire confetti, fire confetti. Yeah, yeah. But I said, as you as you said, one more flame. Or oh, I'll, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll set the stage on fire. That's always funny. Um, or we'll set the roof of a festival on fire. I'm mm. not going to mention any names, but that was... Because uh, obviously when you fire a cue and a... You've yep. got a barrel full of yep. fuel to go up and it doesn't ignite. The fuel has to go somewhere. So it goes onto it the festival it. roof and then you fire the next queue and then you set fire to the roof. No names, no pack drill on that one. That's good. Let's keep that quiet. Shh. I had one when I was in a... So I was in Australia at the start of this year and we were doing this festival and we did... The artist I was with is a pop artist and... Something had happened where they thought he was a DJ, and he's like, "No, nah, it's full crew, it's full session band. Like we're coming in with front of house monitors, everything, right?" And um, they got put on a DJ stage. So we had 
you know, DJ acts during the day and hip hop acts and stuff like that. And there was lots of there was lots of flames and pyro and CO two that you could just use. They were like just just go for it. So our tour manager, um, who's quite versed in firing pyro uh, for this artist, like knew the songs and proceeded to fire the pyro. But when you've got live musicians, right? And when I said a DJ stage. We're crammed in. Like monitors was 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 hell because you know the microphone is like the symbols there next to his head, you know, and um, he started firing pyro like, fft, 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 and it's going off right to the point where there was no oxygen left on the stage. <laughs> yeah. So the singer's trying to sing, you can't <laughs> sing. I can't hear because there's no there's, like everything's gone. I'm yeah. like my ear, I think my, I thought my ears are blowing up. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm signaling to him across the stage, going, stop, the, stop the pyro. And he's like, what more? Thinking it was a joke. And I'm like, mate. Yeah, <laughs> no, so- no, in, in the States we had, a, so for, for a certain artist, we had a, a lot of flames that on the European leg were in the pit and off the sides. But for some reason in America, they moved on stage. So we're in San Francisco and uh, we they do rehearsal and they're the fire marshals there. So it's they they've decided to use a different pyrogray in America. So you had oh. eight flames across the back, eight across the front. When he fired the first cue with the fire marshal there, you know, this was just in the in sound check, and he hits the cue and they all dump oh. fluid. And rather than stop the thing because the fire mouse there, he hit the next queue. So the whole stage became a fireball. Jeez. Of course, they cancelled everything. Oh, there was murders. Yeah, the um, the production and but, stage uh, management team were not very happy with the pyro guy. But there you go. No, okay, it, that's that's another job in itself. Think the responsibility on on that. You oh know, yeah. I, I've I've done shows where I've had to obviously give you give a feed to the pyro guy, you know, and so he can hear cues coming from the stage manager um, and stuff like that. And there's been many a time when all of a sudden, you know, the guitarist suddenly yes. steps in the wrong way and you're like, oh, that cue. And, you know, being a monitor engineer, right, you're listening to everything already. And then when you've also got a talk that's coming from the stage manager to the production manager and you're knowing that guitarist is walking a bit close and you're trying to listen to a cue and you move, your, oh, my God, it's just, it's it's May a minute. Every job, it doesn't matter what and it then is. I, and, then, and then I've knocked it to channel 16 and I can hear your <laughs> shit talking. You, us talking shit. You know, it's like, you know, every job has, it, has its its pitfalls and its uh, dangers yeah. without a shadow of a doubt right across the right across the production you know yeah. even the being production assistant and whatever in the production office christ sometimes in there it's like being in a battlefield you're like oh jesus i'll be on the stage with a fire please yeah we have we do have to be very careful in our job with, with everything that we do um there's there's a story skippy that we've talked about uh prior to going on air as yeah. well and we feel we both feel it's important that we mention this story yeah. albeit a very very sad story but there was a moment there was the moment on the on the on the Bowie tour, uh, and I believe it's when you was in Miami, where something quite profound happened. Um, and I, ima- I imagine it's impacted your life quite a lot. Uh, yeah, it imp- impacted a lot of people actually. So what happened was um, we just got an, um, for most of the, the the reality tour, we'd had people like Macy Gray, uh, Stereo, uh, Macy Gray, Polyphonic Spree as our support acts, and then we get to Miami and. Uh, the stereophonics for our new support act. So, oh, bloody well, good old Welsh band. Oh, yeah, you. absolutely. I didn't see much of them, funny enough. Um, yeah. So, they had a Drake mid stage. Um, they're coming off stage, and uh, at the time, we had to, we had five truss spots. 
So being America, you don't you know. There's no no truck drivers going up there. It's all house union guys. So there was two little side trusses which had a single person up each. Then there was three people on the upstage truss. So myself and a good friend of mine, we hold the ladders for the guys on the side. They get into their spot seat. They pull their ladder up. So then I would go to the back truss, um, and then I would take over holding the ladder for the third man to go up. So the first guy has gone up. He's walking across. Second guy is just going, got to the top of the ladder, um, and I notice that he hasn't got, he isn't clipped off. So I go right. to the union rep who's, who's there. I said, why isn't he clipped off? Um, and then the poor man had a heart attack. Um, he had a heart attack oh, and he fell God. out of the truss. Um, he landed at my feet. Um, wow. Literally missed me by inches. Well, yeah. got a big fella. Um, instantly broke his back or whatever, his spinal cord. Um, oh, well, 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 no, yeah, yeah. I, 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 he landed on his back, face up, because he just basically went that way off the ladder. Um, yeah. uh, I, in shock, I don't really remember much about this, but I'm told about it later. Um, tried to revive him, covered in, in claret, was taken off in shock. This was this was during the changeover between Stereophonics. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so the punters were in. Um, a nurse came out of the crowd. Was out over obviously the crowd were taken out um yeah. i was then went outside a couple of the stereophonic boys crew were talking to me um, i was then taken back uh, about two hours later taken back out on stage if you ever seen csi with the white tape there was the white tape with a body with a big blood stain sure yeah yeah which yeah. was pretty traumatic and uh bill lee body who was the production manager at the time um looked after me and basically, you know, said, if you don't want to do it, and so did Coco, who's Coco has worked for David Bowie for his whole career. Um, and she basically, while I went and got changed, they took me up on stage to start questioning me right by the thing. So this, this horrible American copper and Coco said, look, he's coming off stage. He's going to have, a, he's going to, you want whatever you want, you know, but he's having a shower thing. And then, um, yeah. So she stood in front of the door, wouldn't let the, them through. And then a female detective came and interviewed me. He was brilliant. Well, I did a I allegedly, I've, I've seen these drawings since, obviously, because there was a court case, um, about the safety systems, like, you know... Uh, I was going to say, but it must be about safety, yeah. But oh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was about uh, safety lines. and um, Because what, what used to happen was, because in the UK it was all the same spot ops, we just did, you know, there was no need for a safety meeting every night. But because in America, you know, you use union guys, every night I'd have a, a safety meeting with their union rep and with the spot guys an hour before. Tell them their positions, tell them about yep. clipping off. Um, and another thing in America, um, it's been a while since I've done a spot tour there um, with Trust Spots, but at the time, you as a lighting man, as, as a lighting company supplied the harnesses, which is something in Europe we never did. In Europe, it's down to yourself. It's you know PPE. You know whether you yep. had it checked. It's all got yep. safety certs. So, so so all come from the same company that provided the lighting. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but it wasn't a failure. The guy just didn't clip in, um, and there there is a sad side to it. Um, in the fact, well, obviously he died. That's that thing, and that impacted greatly. 
on myself. I left. I left the, the next day. I went to do the next loading, and I, uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, a good friend of mine who's on the tour came up to me and said, "Look, you got to go home." I said, "What are you on about?" He said, "Every time you come to that part of the stage, you walk anywhere you can be without even realizing." So yeah. uh, I flew home after that gig and didn't do the rest of the that American leg um, which was another three weeks and then I rejoined the tour when we came back to Europe which was basically the end of, of David's touring because we did um, halfway through he had the heart attack as the infamous mm -hmm. lollipop on the eyeball which is just a photo thing but he had a heart attack and that was 2004 right. yeah um, it impacted on everyone there I, I, the, the, the thing uh, that will always stick in my mind was that when I was down covered in the blood, we had this thing on the tour about red trainers, um, about wearing red trainers. I don't, you know, stupid thing you have on tour, you know, like some people yeah. have Hawaiian Friday or whatever. We had, yeah, 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 yeah. Roadie, Roadie, Roadie Friday, you wear stupid t shirts, yeah, yeah. I had a pair of red trainers, and up until about a year ago, um, I never ever wore anything red, even oh. being Welsh because it just kept yeah. reminding me. I could see, I remember seeing, he was on the floor, I was by the side of him, and there was a, uh, he ended up, it was his best mate on the crew. She was looking right at me and him there. And yeah. I can see, I can see, you know, I have, I, have, I have days where that comes back to haunt me. I tell you, a funny aside was my first, my first gig. Um, so I had the time off, then I did the European leg, and then I thought, right, I'm, I'm not going to do any more touring and uh, mm. I'm not going to do anything more and then I went to do a show at Hyde Park um, and it was about a week after the Bowie thing finished and uh, Pete, no, nobody really knew about this what happened you know we kept it quiet between ourselves um, mainly because it was going to be a, a, you know a, a law case a lawsuit whatever and because and yeah. of the people it affected it affected everyone on that tour here's an interesting aside um my two mates, still some of my best mates in this building, I won't mention them because I think it's a thing, but uh, best mates in the building, so I'm the lighting crew. They were just couldn't, didn't know what to do with me, didn't know anything. The video crew, the XL video crew, Gary Byrne, um, Ollie and Steph, they did our whole loadout. They did the whole lighting crew loadout. They were the video guys. And yeah. they loaded our trucks. They did the lot. And that will always stay in my mind that, you know, that showed family being family. Well, this, this is it. You, you, you spoke a little bit before about, you know, if something goes down on tour, be it a fight or, you know, or a squabble or anything between, you know, a, a neighbouring party, you know, no matter, you know, how much we joke about sound and lights don't get on and, you know, oh, you're funny for a sound guy, you know, like end of the day, when something happens on that tour, we are family and we all do tend to look after each other, no matter what it is. Yeah, it's, no it's, it's, like, it is. it's like, you know, you, you know you're, you're away, there can be a problem at home. You know, you don't want to burden, like, you know, yeah. some people will tell you a problem straight away. I'm not one of them, you know, I'm, I prefer to get it sorted and things, yeah. you know. But there's a time when you do rely on, like, like when you, my mum was ill, she died four years ago, but she went in with cancer and that, and I was on a, on a gig, I was on uh, Eddie Vedder, Who's crew are like my family? Well, they are. They're another one that are my family. I originally did Pearl Jam with them. There's your, there's your, there's your air flight. Get home, go and see your mum. You know, no, no. Yeah. So, 
So there are there there is there are still the core of family, and then as you get older, as you, as you you rise in a position, it's you you take that on board. You know, you you become the one putting your hand arm around people's shoulder. You know, when they're having a shit day, you know, it's like you absolutely do. And uh, and and we all know the shit day can be for any reason. It can be because yeah. you know, for some reason, a bill didn't get paid at home, and all of a sudden bailiffs are being thing where there's no need for them but you're not getting a grief your loved ones are getting yeah, yeah. grief yeah we you know there's there's been many a time when i when i've kept things in and not taught and then there's been times when i've talked about stuff but yeah. you know you'll, you'll always know because you do have a relationship and even if it's with one person if it's with a tour manager if it's with a production manager if it's with a lighting guy or whatever you know, have this relationship more close with some people where you can come downstairs in the morning and and they know they'd be like are you all right yeah because you don't seem yourself and you're like, yeah, I'm all right. And they don't, they don't dig. And then sometimes it takes, sometimes mate, it takes going to the back lounge and just popping a beer and sitting there. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden it will come out and they'll be like, we've got you. We, you know, everyone stands behind you. If you've got something to deal with. Yeah. What do we need? What do we need to do to make it right for you? And if you don't need to yeah. be, yeah, I'll get you home. You know, that's not yeah. a problem. Yeah. That's like, you know, if you need to sort something at home in the end, you know, we're not saving lives. It's it's, it's rock and roll. That's all. It's that's all it is. It's entertainment. You know, if you've yeah. got something at home, your family has got to be the first thing. Yeah. You know, it all, it also depends on on what's being served in catering that day as well. <laughs> you know, like if it's Sunday and it's a Sunday dinner, you know, you'll go home on the Monday. Yeah, go home know. on Monday. Do you know what? That's so true, though. You know, there's there, there's three questions, right? That that you'll laugh at this because. These are three questions that are asked every day, right, on tour. And it's to the point where our lives are exciting on tour, right? They are exciting, but there's three questions that are always asked. Yeah. All right. Number one, how's the bathroom? And you're like, yeah, it's all right. It's a bit wet. There's no toilet seat. The door doesn't lock, right? <laughs> yeah, but you, you know, can wait. Is the toilet foot. paper? Yeah, yeah. So this is all one question. How's the bath? You know, how's the toilet? Number two, how's the shower? Yeah. You know. And then you case the shower, don't you? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd give it a six. You try and find the secret one that nobody knows about. You know, the one That's that the, the caretaker's got his own shower three miles away, but it's always got hot water and there's no shit yeah. on the floor. There's, there's v- Vodka Val's not been in with her eyes. Oh, yeah, I oh, know. No. I'll probably get in trouble for that now. And then the third one is, you know, it's... Where's catering? What's for catering? Yeah. What are we having for tea? Those three questions rule your day. Oh yeah, because absolutely. you can go off and you can go off and go up rigs and you know load this in and fucking it's in the rain or whatever. Those three questions matter to matter and, to you having a good day. And the thing is, because Lampy's normally in first with the riggers and they've been in with their little bag to find a shitter, right? Yeah. You get asked by every department. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, and I yeah. tell you, those the, the yeah, questions about the it. toilet. That's that's your role, isn't it? As like yeah, as a lighting tech. Don't you dare ask caterers that, because that, that winds them up. If you go to catering and ask where the toilet is, they'll be like, what do you think we do? Do we come in here and just go and have a shit? We're in your cooking. You know, it's like, and God help you if the only only bog is anywhere near catering, because then... Hey, don't, don't, don't piss off catering, because they're one of your three a day. And if you get a shit meal, that's your own fault, mate. There's that germ there's that... Ju- that I, I hadn't um, done this German gig in years, and then I was out with G-Eazy about... 18 months ago there's a place it's something like a Heilbronn or somewhere like that in Germany where the venue is the the catering the actual kitchen they have to make in the shower in in the shower and the toilet bit 
Oh, right. and the gents is just the other side. God help you if you like your death. You'll find anywhere rather than going the lose in there. So the impact of COVID is basically our touring schedules have stopped, um, and you've now moved into TV a little bit and started doing a lot more TV stuff over in Cardiff, right? Well, over in South Wales. We did a show at Caffili uh, Castle last year, and I met this fella. He was up there as a punter. And we started chatting, and he, he's into TV, like in the TV, like World over here in Cardiff. So he put on Facebook something like, um, Don't you like it when you're an hour early for a call? And I just texted him and said, Stop letting whinging, at least you're working. Uh, I said, And when I get, when I, you know, I'm in Cardiff as of now, you know, meet for a drink so I can meet, I need to meet a few people. So literally, Five hours later, he goes, oh, do you know, you know, Mike Sherno, don't you? I mm. said, oh, yeah, I do. I said, yeah, we used to, you, last time I saw him was at my best mate's funeral about four years ago. And uh, he said, oh, well, he's the best boy on this. So um, went and, and they said, I've got a day for you tomorrow, literally. So on and off, I've been doing bits and pieces over the last four or five weeks. Um, bottom of the food chain stuff, moving stuff yeah. around. Yeah, pulling cables. I don't care. It's you know, it's it's, it's as much about being with a group of people, having the banter, as it is the money. You know, to completely. be honest, it's like it, it's the mental side of it. Is just that you know, sharpening your wit so that you know. I I, I had done, a, it's weird. I'd never done any TV drama ever, and then about a month, three months ago. Um, through a friend of a friend, I got a week's putting a, another drama into a studio at backstage, not back, a backstage centre, the one down in Purfleet. Um, and then this came up. So I've had days on and off. I've had a, I had a, I was on a night shoot la, last night uh, that didn't stop rain. It is in Wales, I know, before you start about the rain. Yeah, but 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 end of the day, you know, we're used to loading out in the rain because we do that around the world yeah. anyway. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, but yet you're not happens, stuck in it. it. You're not. You're not stuck in it for nine and a half hours filming. Lucky enough, I was in the generator truck with my heater, my iPad, yeah. and only had to nip out every now and again and just check the wind speed. Oh, it's just it's just like staring at my demos then, isn't it? Well, it, to be honest, it was very very similar, but mine different was I couldn't get to the lights because they were even higher. They were up a bloody crane at 50 metres because yeah. uh, I was the moon. I look after the moon for the last week. <laughs> I am the moon man. <laughs> A re reskilled to be a moon. Well, man. yeah, it's a diff it's just a different skill that's, set, that, you know. That's tied into Bowie, isn't it? There you go. Star star man, moon man, boom, full circle, mate, full circle. It's it's great. It's great that you're working through TV, though. Like it's it's just something different that we we can apply ourselves to. Should we need to? There's two there's two things that we're going to touch on just before we finish, and one thing's something that you've been working quite hard on, um, and I don't think it's gone the way you wanted it to, but it's the Benefits Show. Yeah. It was so a, do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so basically it was a... Uh, what happened, there was an, a, a show on Irish TV on RTE called Songs in an Open, uh, in an Empty Room. So I watched this, and then the, the fair dues, um, Bono and U2 gave... T it was for basically for a fund for, for their creative industry and stage end. And you two gave 200 grand in euros and it was a benefit show. And I thought, well, why aren't we doing anything? Why aren't we hearing from artists, you know, stepping out and, and supporting? So yeah. I just sat down and I sort of rang a few mates and I said, look, I've got an idea for this TV show. Give a shout out to them, uh, Mark Cunningham, 
Stevie Horton, Karen Hort, Martin Walker, my my young man Ben McHugh, who's uh, my my. You know when you've got a youth that can do everything, all that. Yeah. Twenty four, twenty five. Ben, how do I do this? Ben is my man, and I just rung him up. I said, "Look, I've got this germ of an idea." I said about doing a charity show, so we banded a few names. Mark came back and said, "What about twenty twenty pretty vacant?" Now he yeah. knows I'm a big Pistols fan. I'm a big music fan, and that yeah. pretty certain. I felt pretty vacant. I felt like I wasn't doing anything. It's, it is incredible title, you know, and yeah. it fits perfectly. And the original, perfect, and the yeah. idea was we were going film in two venues one of them was going to be the rehearsal space at uh, Negs at Neg Earth and the other was going to be up north at Wakefield at uh, Production Park Studios sure got, got bullets involved got and, and what started as a German of an idea um, on the on this was on the Monday morning 18 hours later um, and phones being battered and me just pulling in people I was like there was there was an inordinate amount of support um, right across the board, supply companies, anyone we anyone I rang up. If I didn't know anybody who who worked for them, I went and found out somebody who worked for them, and so did the the rest of the team. We came, you know, we had a very not a good proposal. What we were supposed to do? We were going to get we were going to do as a charity for state of the stage hand charity. We wanted bands to do a cover, yeah. a cover version. Um, not their own, not necessarily their own genre, and we were also going to try and put acts together that wouldn't normally do duets together, a bit like um, a cut with the one that Kylie did with Nick Cage. You know, we were looking for some, so it was going to be yeah. a TV show, and then we got we got bands managements involved. We got involved with the British Management Association. They basically, we the full proposal was put together. It was very professional. Well, you know, yeah. Christie Lights, Neg Earth. Um, yeah. Brit Row, everyone we approached was like, yes. And the idea was, we get the kit for nothing, right? But everyone who works on that show gets paid and we raise money for Stagehand. Acts okay. were... It, so we'd get all to different levels and through another side of people that I know, we got it through to, to commissioning level. We got it quite, quite along the way. As far as a lot of the major acts are concerned that we approached... They wouldn't do it, or they wouldn't commit to it if they weren't, if there wasn't a broadcaster in place. The broadcaster yeah. wouldn't commit unless there was a big name in place. Yeah, and we didn't want to go the route of going doing it on the internet. Uh, we wanted it to get it out to primetime TV. And our idea was in in a two hour show was there'd be these cover versions in North or South. There'd be four stages. One stage would look like a, a theatre. One stage would look like an arena. Two smaller stages, one at each venue. One would look like a shitty club loading, you know, with a load of 1980s neon still on it. And the other yeah. one would, would, would look like a sticky rock club. And the yeah. idea was to just show the different types of venues. Stages in the middle of the rehearsal spaces so we could film right around and we could show yeah. the emptiness of it. But we could also show every job that's involved with things. We, we're gonna, we had a TV shorts company involved who were gonna gonna do a documentary in between, which was about everyone from the guy who sells works behind the bar. Well, mate, it, it it sounds like a massive idea. It's it's such an elaborate, massive idea that wow, it's it's quite impressive to be honest. There, Skippy, it sounds like something I want to watch. But what happened to it? 
Um, no, we, 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 we fought and fought and fought, and we had four months' work in it, and we got, we, you know, we, we were two, uh, we were always one, one step forward, two steps back, we find different things. Then we got ahead of it, but nobody yeah. would actually commit to it in the end, and, and basically the funding of it, it was like, um, we had, we had the commercial sponsors right across the board, a lot of people didn't, like, there was a thing of, oh, we don't really want to do a lockdown show. Well, it wasn't a lockdown show. It was a documentary yeah. interspersed with live acts. I, I, I've i been very lucky, right? Um, I never yeah. fell through the gaps. So I have had some backing, right? Yeah. Um, so it, for me, it was a personal cause for my friends that have fallen through the gaps. And if we don't, between the lot of us, as it gets darker, as this winter comes in, there's going to be a lot of cases of mental issues that we're not going to be able to control. They Absolutely. people need to be supported right across the board, yeah. physically, monetary, mentally, because there will be problems. You know, I've got good friends that haven't had a, a single penny, and I, 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 I'll hold my hands up. I feel extremely guilty, you know, that I've I've been I've been lucky to get some cash. Well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't feel guilty, mate. I mean, you know, it, it, it just it upsets me. What What's good is that you know you were looking forward to pushing something forward to help people, and there are these charities out there like Backup, like uh, Stagehand, that are helping people yeah. out, and we still need to raise awareness for these things for help. You know, so what's so you met a wall. That wall was not not the finish of it, though, is it? So we met the wall with our original concept. So um, we've been in contact. Uh, we make events basically got wind got wind of what we were doing because this was before yeah. we make events. It was even as even a thing, um, and yeah. we got lot. We as I said we had lots of support from loads of different industries, and then we adapted the TV show that we were going to make it to look. Uh, first first comment was uh, we had too many ideas, so we slimmed it down to our base idea, and then it was yeah. like we were only showing one part of the business. So. Yeah. Then we got comedians involved, you know, um, uh, opera involved. So there was, again, we oh, were offering... You, a, yeah, you're, you're then expanding it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah. expanding it again. But the, the, yeah. the thing was, it just was the funding, you know. Um, yeah. And people were going, oh, you know, go to Virgin. Virgin did those those gigs up in Newcastle that were, you know, for yeah. socially distancing the car. But there's only so much money, you know. And most things that are sponsored are usually looked at six well some 18 months to two years but obviously in this situation it's a different situation we thought there'd be more interest there were some sponsors of a low level but nothing that could really fund doing the two well shows. you know the, the the beauty the beauty as well skippy is that you know when you start to put our heads together although you're not getting the funding there's now obviously there's a lot of crowdfunding stuff going on now no absolutely so, you know it's another it's another avenue isn't it where you can look at to look at maybe going crowdfunding well yeah well the thing is we've linked with we make events um, and we've done this there's a thing now called the survival sessions the first one's yep. going to be frank turner i think on the 15th or 16th of june I know that okay. yourselves, you did the thing with uh, Niall from One Direction, which I think was awesome. fabulous. I, I've got to say anything that showed. I, I do feel that, that um, some of the bigger artists have been very backwards in coming forwards. I know some have been doing stuff behind behind closed yeah. doors, yeah. but I do feel that there's there's there, there needs to be a little bit more, you know, 
I think I think there does need to be a little bit more. What we can't do is, as an industry is we can't feel resentment that people aren't putting themselves forward. No. One thing I've talked about with a lot of people is that when people are doing these live streams now, there's there's an application for to donate to charity, but yes. it's getting to the point where people are going like, you're doing a live stream and you're not donating anything to charity. Why is that? And people are getting angry about that. And I'm yeah, like, well, no. yeah, everyone's still looking out for themselves. Yeah. End of the day, what's music? It's bloody dog eat dog in it. Absolutely. And, you know, when you've got your likes of Dominic Cummins basically saying, fuck the ballerinas, you know, that does people stick in the mind that, that myself, yourself, I don't know, it's thing, but people sitting and talking at a pub. I'm a very highly trained professional through 30 years of experience and being able to put something in. People don't realise, you know, and why would, why would they realise when they go to a gig what, what makes that happen? You could, no, you're completely right. Like the point is, is that you know, right at the start, I, I said a paragraph, which was the legends of the road, the enigmas of the shadows. You know, yeah. we're hanging from truss, we're staring at dimmers, and we and sometimes we hide in plain sight. And what we kind of need to do at this point now is make ourselves more visible. Yeah, and I that's, agree. That's what it is. It's about visibility because although we do work in the shadows, that's why no one knows who we are, and that's why we're good at our job because no one knows who you do. Well, look at look at. I don't know what your family are like. My family have, have dealt with me doing this for thirty odd years. Until my dad actually sat and watched a loadout, he didn't have a clue. You know? And yes. even though you'd explain it, go, oh, yeah. Yeah, but you've just come back from uh, New Zealand, haven't you? Yeah. And, you know, and they just see that side of it. They don't see that the, until it's right in their face. That's why we, the, there was the documentary element involved. It's basically not to show a lo- loads of people large in it, but showing, you know, what... Show what we do. Uh, well, you know, yeah, but what intelligence and what, you know... We do a yep. very hard job with with, with good humour, diligence, and hard work. Yeah, it's uh, our, our job is is certainly certainly a fascinating job, um, and it's something that we need to get recognition for. Speaking of recognition, actually, shall I tie that in? Um, is one thing we do with with the Weenie Crew with Weenie Crew is we do what we call a Hall of Fame, and the idea is to. For you, as much as we mention people through our chat, you know, of people that we need recognition, we want to highlight one specific person um, for that Hall of Fame. And this is someone who's done you well, who's just notable, or even if you've just got a funny story about them. You know, we shared a few funny stories just before we went live on air about people. But right now, who is your one specific person that you'd like Mine to give an is Stephen Arch, who's now not sadly not with us. Um, a legend amongst any lampies of, of any worth. Um, this gentleman was not just larger than life, he was a whole universe larger than life. Which is, I like the way you tied that into sound then. Uh, sorry, you tied that into lighting, the universe, yeah. Like it, yeah. But, um, Clever. Yes, he's, he's a man that left a mark. He, you might not like it, Oh, you might like it, but he always left a mark. This yeah. this this gentleman was like um, he was a crew boss, very hard working, lots of tattoos. Was renowned for his silly socks, high silly socks, especially his beloved Watford Football Club socks. Um, and if he if you like to show you, if he said, "Look in my eyes," if you said yes, his pants would be dropped. And the two biggest eyeballs that were t- tattooed onto his ass cheeks would be flashed at you. He was, <laughs> he, he had the great talent that you could walk into a venue and he'd have yeah. his 20 guys or 15 guys. He, if it was the first time he met them, he'd get their names. At the end of the night, 
he'd still know all 15 or 20 of their names. And if you went into the same venue six months later, he would still know their names, which is a talent that a very, very few yeah. people yeah. I've ever come across can do that. Um, he was loud, extremely. He didn't need a radio. Anyone who heard him shout, Mutt, which was a mutt box, is a, a famous cry. Um, right. Yeah, just a, just a just a, 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 a I'll tell you the one. My, can I quickly tell my funniest story? So you can, yeah. we're doing a little prodigy stint of these three festivals. We're doing Leeds, Reading, and there was a, at the time there was an extra one in Glasgow Green, and we had shit piles of gear on extras on Prodigy, a whole truck and a bit. So we get to uh, we do. Leeds, and then we go to Glasgow a little bit late. All the stuff's coming off. We're putting it all up. We're finished. We're just out going to have a, a beer, and there's this truck pulls up, and there's a certain American band turn up with a little looting full of gear. So Steve says to the locals, and he's loved by by local crew, especially like the Glaswegians. Billy and the boys love him. So he goes to one of the lads. I tell you what, I'd, I'd refuse to unload that truck unless they give you a T-shirt. Jokingly, didn't think anything about it. We go up the road, go to the, the tour bus. Hour and a half later, there's police cars and the roads. At one end, the, the crew have got a um, digger across the road. They've got a forklift across the road the other side. Well, that chance com- comment, they decided to try it on the American crew. Well, the American crew... Crew, two of them <laughs> foolishly jumped one of the Glaswegian crew in the back of the truck. Well, oh you my can Im- God! Well, you can imagine the ensuing damage that happened. The whole Terry, my good mate, who's now dead, who was uh, Blur's production manager for a long time, was stage manager of the stage, was trying to get us and Slipknot on stage with no local crew. A very, very, very funny situation which involved yeah. the police, a road digger and the promoters. <laughs> I'll leave it there. I reckon I reckon they would have got it on stage though if you had Glaswegian. Well, when we did this, they, they jumped one of the crew. We're like, you did what? <laughs> what here? How many men went against him? How many people went up against him? Oh, no, <laughs> he was just, he was turning around the thing and two of them jumped him and he didn't know anything about him. Uh, two's not enough. Yeah, no. There's that old fable of when you go to Glasgow, you know, you go, how many local crew are on it? And they go, eight. You go, we only need four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean? well, well, the thing is, at Barrowlands, I remember when there, were, there wasn't even the hoist there, when everything went up every floor. You know, the, the next day, you know, your 72-way dimmer, it wouldn't have four wheels. It'd have three and a very buckled one, you know. And it'd be like... And the worst was if you were, at the time, like in the 80s and 90s, if Manchester was following Glasgow or Glasgow... Yep, yep. There'd be motorboxes three high upside down. You'd go, lads, hey, we're playing Manchester tomorrow. Fuck them. It was like... Oh, no, yeah. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> love up the bits. My, my, yeah, my two favourite crews... In the whole world, have got to be the Glasgow boys, and has got yep. to be um, the boys from the Ahoy or thing, booming the boys over in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The like the, the Glasgow crew. No matter what venue you're doing, Glasgow, because there's obviously different crews up there. When you've got someone who's who's a little bit green, you know, behind the ears, and you say like, "Here we go, get in here." 
or someone who's not dealt with them straight away and you don't know how to take their personality. And I mean, obviously we all know people. You go in, all right, John. All right, mate. Oh, Scott, nice to see you again, mate. He won't say that. He'll be like, you fucking doing here, big man. Yeah. Who do you think you are? And you're like, oh, uh, Jack, Scott, you met, and no. No, no. And then you have to, <laughs> no, you know, no. uh, but they're just fucking with you. They're just fucking with you all the time. Absolutely. Like, because that's, that's, that's who they are. And all of a sudden everything flies in. And, you know, again, we talked about baptisms with, uh, you know, getting fired from like Prince or, or yeah. whatever, you know, the barras loading is one that you need to do. Oh yeah. And once you've done barras, then you can kind of say, all right, I tour for a living. And once they've let you put a hand on a box, which, you know, is, is thing is an, uh, another thing. I've, I, and, and have you ever played one of their football games? No. Many, many years ago on a Ramones tour, I foolishly got involved in one of their football games on the barras floor. Fuck me. I didn't, I didn't know how many lumps of shit I could have kicked out of me, to be honest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, Skippy, thank you for being our guest on the Weenie Crew podcast. I've laughed a lot. I'm sure other listeners are going to laugh a lot too. Hopefully, I've given you some stories as much as you've given me some stories as well. That's what it's all about. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. A roadie's memo. Thanks for listening to the Weenie Crew podcast. I have been your host, Scott Howarth. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We're going to be releasing new content all the time. But until then, please check out weeniecrew.co.uk.